Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey! Glad you're here. You're stinking awesome. I do love you guys, and I thank God for you. If you're here for the first time, uh, or the first time in a long time, we are delighted to have you with us. And those of you that are with us online, man, we love you guys. I can't tell you the number of times over this weekend that people have expressed appreciation for our online uh, church. And uh, we're glad you're joining us uh, on the other side of the camera. Um, I, I believe with full conviction this is my belief that God has brought you here today. He's maneuvered, he's orchestrated, he's arranged in your life. He's drawn you here and you said yes. You showed up. It's a big deal because he wants to speak into your life his hope. He wants to speak into your life his love, his joy, his peace. He wants to speak his everlasting spirit into your life. And uh, right now, I mean, one of the reasons I believe he's brought you here today, I mean, the day of all days, today we start our exciting journey through the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, this thing is awesome. I used it for my personal devotions for over 40 weeks. My Debbie and I, I used it on our vacation together when we'd have devotions. I got to show you. I got to show you a picture maybe next week of me and our dog doing devotions uh, together. But this book is awesome. I don't know how many times people have told me uh, that they want to read the Bible, they start to read the Bible, they read the Bible, they don't get the Bible, so they quit. And that's why we're offering this. And we're going to take 11 weeks to go from today, opening pages of Genesis, all the way up to Easter when we do the closing pages of Revelation. And you're here. Now, the, 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 this week... I'm going to tell you a story that's not in the book, uh, because if it, you used it with your children, it would freak them out. It's R-rated for graphic violence. So let's pray. Would you bow with me? Father, we do ask that you speak. I mean, these guys, they said yes to you. They've shown up. And so would you do right now what you can't even do, streaming over the internet? What you can only do in this room and then through this room do the internet. Speak, oh God, in Jesus' name, through your word. Amen. Amen. This man, this guy, he comes rushing, screaming into a doctor's office, holding a very bloodied arm, sweating profusely, saying, doctor, doctor, you got to help me. The doctor's like, oh my gosh, what happened to you? The guy's like, uh, I was bitten by a vicious dog and it was foaming at the mouth. The doctor says, oh, I'm sorry, you likely have rabies, which can be fatal. And the guy's like, oh, no, I'm going to die. The doctor says, just relax. We're going to give you a series of shots. Needles! Calm down, sit down, I'll go get the medicine. Doctor comes back, only to see the guy writing on a piece of paper. The doctor thinks he's making out his, making out his will. The doctor says, sir, you're not going to die. The guy says, I know, just making a list of the people I'm going to bite. <laughs> oh, I'm so weird. Um, here's the takeaway from today. <laughs> not that joke. Um, trouble is inevitable. Happens to you, 
happens to me. Sometimes it comes in bunches. Sometimes it's barely tolerable. Trouble is inevitable. Trauma drama is optional. In fact, it's the reason I think that they should call Facebook drama book. You don't have to do the drama. Trouble is inevitable. Trauma drama is optional. And triumph over any trouble is possible. And here's the winning strategy. Just go right from the trouble to the triumph without the drama. Makes life a joy. How many of you have ever been bitten uh, by a dog? Okay. If it was a cat, I'd say put it to sleep. (laughs) Just joking. No, a bunch of us have been bitten by dogs, but all of us, every single one of us has been snake bit by the ancient serpent. Jesus called Satan the ancient serpent. From eternity, once God created him as the greatest of all, most beautiful of all angels, and he rebelled against the throne of God, and God threw him out. From that moment, he was a liar, the father of lies, a murderer who seeks only to kill, steal, and destroy in your life. The ancient serpent. In fact, I love the opening chapters, first two chapters of this Jesus storybook Bible. I mean, it's beautiful, well-written, well-crafted, compelling. I mean, it's moving. But then we get to chapter three. And in the beauty of all God has done, all God has created, the glory of the cosmos, the centerpiece being two human beings, Adam and Eve, man and woman, into that garden slithers seductively the ancient serpent. Satan takes the form of a serpent and begins to whisper over Eve and Adam's souls. Lies. He puts thoughts in their head, and when, he believe, when they believe the thoughts that he puts in their head, man, that's an ugly road. And I want to tell you, I want to give you just a, a, a warning from the father figure, the old guy in the church. Your thoughts in your mind are not just created out of a vacuum. Some of the thoughts in your mind come from God. You thought about coming to church. That was God putting a thought in your mind. You came. Some of your thoughts come from you. You're thinking about dinner right now. Stop it. (laughs) Some of your thoughts come from Satan. He's always speaking. And when you agree with him in your mind, same thing happens to you that happened to Adam and Eve. They broke relationship with God. They disobeyed God as they believed the doubts Satan put in their mind. They distrusted the utter goodness of God. That was what that was all about. And when they did, it wrecked everything. They immediately, as soon as they rebelled, as soon as they sinned, as soon as they broke relationship with God, I mean, three things and then happened. They felt shame. They were afraid. They withdrew from God, but they also began to die. Everything began to die. Everything in the cosmos got wrecked. Now there would be wars and every kind of wickedness. There would be rape and racism. There would be viciousness and violence. There would be natural calamities that were, you know, I mean, horrific, like tsunamis and volcanoes and earthquakes, famine, pestilence. And as a result, there is this terrible ripple effect 
that all through history has touched every single life, has touched your life, has touched my life. There's trouble, there's brokenness in me. There's brokenness in you. And maybe this is a good time for me to tell you, you know, I love you guys with all of my heart. And I know you want to be recognized by me when I see you. Um, I just want you to be understanding because I'm losing my vision. Uh, This eye has been dead for a long time. I went to the driver's DMV, took the vision test, couldn't see a thing. Uh, They wouldn't give me a license. I appealed to the state of Wisconsin. They said, you can drive for um, a few more months. And um, my doctor assures me that she'll get me licensed at least to drive during the day. The bad news is, that's the good news. The bad news is there's no cure. And so you've become very fuzzy to me. Unless we're close enough to kiss and we ain't going there. (laughs) So just be understanding of the fact that I may not always recognize you every week. That's just me. That's the brokenness in me. Everybody's got trouble. Trouble is inevitable. And here's, here's what I know. My Debbie have made a determination, though it's deemed incurable, but the eye drops in, take the vitamins, though it's deemed incurable, we're going to pray every night that the Lord Jesus extend his nail-pierced hands and touch my eyes and restore my sight. Yeah. I hope... The clap is for him. The clap is for him because he is able. I believe he is able. He's creator of all that is, the earth, the sky, the sea, all that's in them. He made everything out of nothing. Nothing's too difficult for God. He is able, but even if he doesn't, he is able to restore my sight, but if he doesn't, and the blindness continues, I'm still going to love him. I'm still going to praise him. I'm still going to serve him. I'm still going to be his pastor. In fact, I will pray, Lord, flood the eyes of my heart with light that I might see the hope to which you've called me. It's not about these eyes. It's about these eyes. And that's what I want to see with. Um, Uh, If we could skip the next slide, because I've already said it. Um, God get really ticked off. He pulls out a big can of butt whooping on Satan. And uh, God said to Satan, because you have done this to the woman and the man, you are cursed, cursed, cursed. Now, when he says cursed three times, a couple things go off in my heart. Number one, I know that the number three is hugely significant in the Bible. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. But three times, man and woman, I think it's inclusive of all of us. Satan, you are cursed, cursed, cursed because what you've done has brought trouble and pain and struggle into every single life of everyone who ever walks this planet. Trouble now will be inevitable. You are cursed, cursed, cursed. And I'm declaring war on you, Satan. I'm declaring war between you, Satan, and the woman, between your offspring, demons, and hers, Jesus. Now, she doesn't know. Eve doesn't know. He's talking about Jesus. She thinks God is talking as he curses Satan. He, she thinks God is talking about a baby born to her. That a baby born to her will come and look what happens. He, this, this heir of Eve, will crush your ugly head like a pumpkin. 
and she thinks it's going to be her baby. Well, we know that Jesus, the reason we know it's Jesus, check it out, the word of God. The reason the son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. In my life, in your life, in the world, it cost God plenty. To get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life, he paid with Christ's sacred blood This was no afterthought. God knew what he meant. God knew all along that it would need to happen. God knew, we know, because we know the end of the story. It's just that Eve didn't know. This was no afterthought. God always knew he was going to do this. It's very personal. He was going to do this for you. If it was just you and Adam and Eve, he was going to do this. He was going to send Jesus, his one and only son, to die for you. In fact, here's the truth. God took away Satan's power to accuse you and God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph on the cross when your sins were taken away. Now, here's something you gotta understand. Eve thinks she's gonna give birth to the child who will be born to squash, to stomp the head of Satan. She can't wait. She wants her revenge. She wants Satan done, defeated. Now, in the Bible, there's always a pattern sequence for birth. A, a man and wife lay together. B, she gets pregnant. C, she gives birth. You've just had the ABCs of sex education. You can thank me later. But look at the text with me. Look what happens in this account. Adam, A, lay with his wife. B, she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. But look, later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Adam, excuse me, Cain and Abel are twins. But they are anything but identical. When she gives birth to Cain, when he's the first baby coming out of her womb, she's like, oh my gosh, this is the one. He's the deal. He is everything. He's the only thing that matters. He's the one who will stomp and squash the head of Satan and defeat him. Look at the text. She conceived and and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Sounds okay, but... As I studied the Hebrew for this text, the phrase with the help of the is nowhere in the text. If you translate the Hebrew literally, here's what we get in English. I have gotten a man, comma, the Lord. She thinks the little baby boy she has given birth to is the one, the only one that matters, the one who would destroy the works of Satan. In fact, that's why she names him Cain, which means to get, to acquire. You're the one that matters, baby boy. And then shortly, seconds, minutes, however, later she gives birth to Abel. Scripture says, then she gave birth to his brother Abel, And she said, just take him away. He didn't matter. He's nobody. He's nothing. Don't need him because his brother, the firstborn, Cain, he's the deal. He's the one. And so she names her second little boy Abel, which means you don't matter. Empty of substance. We don't need you. You're nothing. 
And so growing up, that's what these two boys got. That's what these two boys uh, heard. That's how these two boys were treated. Hey, Abel, clean up the table and bring your brother a second helping of mashed potatoes and give him another big slice of spam because he's the one and you're nothing. And when you clean up the table, wash the dishes. Your brother's got to go read the newspaper. And when you're done washing the dishes, take out the garbage. You're nothing. You don't matter. Can anyone relate? I hope you didn't grow up in a home like that. But I know some of you did. Where it's like, hey, you'll never amount to nothing. You're a loser. You don't matter. Maybe you didn't hear it from your parents. I pray to God you didn't. But maybe you got it from a teacher at school. Maybe you got it from a coach, supervisor at work. You're nothing. You don't matter. We can do this without you. You're a loser. You'll never amount to anything. And so I, I, I think, you know, Abel takes out the trash and just keeps walking. And what the thoughts going on in his head, Satan whispering into his mind, you don't matter. You don't matter. But, but I believe that God would walk with him. Because I, this is kind of my imagination. But God, I know his character. I know it's loving. I know it's gracious. I know it's compassion. I know it's full of mercy. And I know he's always pursuing us, reaching out to us with his love. And I just wonder if God didn't come up alongside Abel and put this thought in his mind. You matter to me. You matter to the creator of the universe. You matter to almighty God. And I wonder if these words from the book of Isaiah ever resonated in the soul of Abel. Look at the scripture. Hey, God speaking, can a mother forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Hey, even if she may forget, I will not forget you. Indeed, I have inscribed you, a picture of you on the palm of my hand. So I always know and remember who you are when I think about you. Uh, that's how these boys grew up. And when they became men, their lives diverged, their passions diverged. Check it out. When they grew up, Abel, oh my gosh, this is so huge. Because in the Bible, always the firstborn is mentioned first. But here, Abel is mentioned first because God says, it's not the rank you're in, it's the character of your heart. It's how much you love me. It's how much you trust me. It's how freely you worship me and give to me. Abel, you're number one in my book. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. Now, I have a ton of respect and admiration for farmers because I'm addicted to food. I think I'm going to starve to death if I don't eat. So being a farmer is not a bad thing, but, but think about this. Everything in the Bible means something and everything points to Jesus. And that Abel would have a passion to care for flocks of sheep points us to Jesus, the good shepherd. In fact, I wonder God with him whispering, you matter to me, you matter to me. I, I, I wonder, I'm directing you, I'm guiding you, I'm caring for you. I'm wondering if Abel was actually the first one to sing the Psalm of David, Psalm 23 goes like this, the Lord is my shepherd. 
I have everything I need. He lets me rest in the meadow grass and leads me beside quiet streams. He, he gives me new strength, helps me do what honors him most. Even when walking through the dark valley of death, I, I would not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your, your goodness and unfailing kindness will be with me all my life and afterwards I will live with you forever in your home. I'm getting out of this home. I'm living with you in your home. I know Psalm 23, what I just shared with you is one of the most loved passages of scripture, maybe the best known. In fact, I use it every night when I lay my head down on my pillow, shut my eyes, and I begin to say to myself, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is, the Lord is my shepherd. And you know the Hebrew Root word for shepherd is the same as the Hebrew word for friend. The Lord is my friend who shepherds my life. And I'll go to sleep. And then two hours later, later I wake up, get up, go pee. <laughs> hey, old age ain't for sissies. <laughs> go back to bed, lay down, begin to recite it again until I get to that quiet streams part. <laughs> then I got to get up and go to the bathroom again. But no, this, this was an image, Abel pointing to the image of Jesus. And as both these men work the field and cared for their flocks, look what happened. When, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some, say, like with disgust in your voice, some. You guys ain't never getting a job in Hollywood. No. Yeah, he brings some. That's the hinge on which the meaning of this text turns. Cain only brings some. He thinks it's a gift. Some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. But look at Abel. Abel brought a gift. The best. Say best. best. Yeah, he brings the best portion of his firstborn lambs from his flock. These are the first lambs. He doesn't know if he's going to get any more lambs. There's no guarantee. But because he loves the Lord, wants to worship the Lord, wants to thank the Lord, he brings his first and best, believing that the goodness of God will prevail in his behalf and God will bless all the rest and he'll get way more for himself than if he just kept and brought some like his brother. You see, Cain was doing worship his way. And that still happens today. People saying stuff like, hey, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Really? Where'd you get that on a fortune cookie? <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Bible says just the opposite. In fact, scripture says if we follow Jesus, it was his pattern every weekend to be in worship. But there's People who do Cain worship. Abel did God worship, God-centered worship. I'm giving you my first and I'm giving you my best. If you're unfamiliar with the Christian faith, this is why Christ followers out of every pay period bring the first 10% of their income to the Lord. Scripture says bring the whole tithe, 10%, the first and best into my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I, I just want to give you a picture of what happened here. Cain comes, lays some crops on the altar. Abel comes with the lamb. 
He puts his hand on the head of the lamb. It's a little bit of pressure. And he begins to confess his sins over the head of the lamb. He's transferring his sins to an innocent substitute. Why? Why would he do that? Well, let's flash back to his mom and dad. His mom and dad have told him and Cain the story of their time in the garden till they have it memorized. And what happened? They sinned against God. They rebelled against God. They broke relationship with God. They were thrown out of the garden, but before they were cast out, to deal with their fear, to deal with their shame, to make the relationship right, God had them put their hands on lambs and confess their sins on the heads of the lambs so that their sin is transferred to the innocent substitute and then with all the violence he could, slash the lambs' throats, makes garments of skin from the lambs, dresses Adam and Eve to cover their shame, to take away their fear, to make right the relationship with God, but it was the shedding of blood that provided the forgiveness of sin. Check it out. Everything is cleansed by blood and sins are forgiven only if blood is poured out. You see, it was meant to point to Jesus. He was our innocent substitute on the cross. When we confess our sins, when we reach out to him and confess our sins, Every wrong thought, every dark deed, every ugly, hateful thing we've ever done is transferred to him. And transferred to us is all his goodness. All our imperfections on him, all his perfection on us. And all the violence of God falls on Jesus for our sin. All the anger of God falls on Jesus. All the condemnation of God falls on Jesus. All the judgment of God falls on Jesus. So that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, God will never be angry with us. God will never judge us. God will never condemn us. Because Jesus took it all on the cross. And when he rose from the dead, he offered that same supernatural power for us to live in. To do marriage and parenting and finances and feelings in. It's good news. Just a few moments ago, uh, if you are newer to our church, we do this every weekend because of this very thing that I'm teaching now. We pass these trays, and in the trays, a little piece of bread, and that bread represents the body of Jesus that took all the punishment of God for us. And we remember that and we take that bread and eat it and consume the promises of Jesus. But the cup, the cup represents his blood poured out for our sins. And when we drink it, we are cleansed of all guilt and shame. In fact, Jesus said this, this cup is an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. He was the lamb of God. Maybe I should show you the scripture. Uh, or maybe I won't. Wait with bated breath. <laughs> Here's what happens. Cain, he goes ballistic, majorly ticked off. Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. He's kicking his crops he brought to Jesus and who, I don't care about this God anyway. Who needs him? And the Lord said to Cain, and in my mind, just to tell you, I believe God is pursuing Cain and following along behind God as a little lamb. My imagination. But he says to Cain, 
uh, why are you so angry, man? Dude, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Check it out. Here's the thing that happens next. And if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. See what I think? I think the Lord keeps pursuing Cain, leaves the lamb outside on the front step. The Lord goes into the house and says, hey, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, that sounds pretty scary to me. Like, you know, it's Halloween and you go answer the knock on your door instead of some sweet little kid saying trick or treat, it's a bunch of devils going, yee. So you scream, run, jump under your bed and dear Jesus, help me. It's what you get for putting spam in kids' trick or treat bags all these years. No, what I believe is happening, maybe God is warning, Jewish sages believe that there are 70 different interpretations for each slice of scripture. Now, I'm not that smart, but I believe that there are two at work here. One, God probably is warning Cain. You're going the wrong way. You're going into death and away from life. But I believe he's wooing him. He's trying to draw him back into relationship with himself. God is warning Cain. God is wooing Cain, maybe both. And the reason I believe God is wooing Cain, because the, the Hebrew word here for sin is kata. And it can easily be translated sin offering. Like Jesus on the cross, dying in our place for our sin, his bloodshed, he was a sin offering. The innocent substitute in our place, taking the punishment we deserve for our sin. God said, hey, I want to get things right between me and you. And I've got a sin offering right outside your door. I brought a lamb. Get this. Cain didn't pay for that lamb. Cain didn't raise that lamb. Cain didn't care for that lamb. Cain didn't feed that lamb. That lamb is a free gift of God's grace. Just like me and you. I don't deserve to have the superabundant life of Jesus, but he gives it by his grace. I don't deserve to have sins forgiven, but he gives it by his grace. I don't deserve to be cleansed of guilt and shame. It's a gift, the grace of God through faith in Jesus, who is the lamb of God. In fact, scripture says this, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his own son, the lamb of God, his one and only son, and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. But by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. And so Cain is like, God, get out of my house. I don't need you. I don't need your stupid lamb. And then Cain leaves his house after virtually spitting in the face of God and he goes and finds his brother. Here's what happens. Cain said to his brother Abel, hey, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed his brother. Those serpent fangs punctured his heart and released that poisonous venom of evil Satan bit his heart and he put the hard, hurtful bite on his brother. And so again, where do we find God? We find God taking the initiative, pursuing the worst in us. 
And he says, and then God said to Cain, hey, where's your brother, Abel? Cain says, how should I know? Am I his babysitter? And then the Lord said, man, what have you done? Listen, do do you hear it? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You, now you, just like I curse, curse, curse Satan. Now, Cain, you put yourself under the curse. You are driven from this ground. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, hey, this punishment, it's more, more, more than I can bear. <laughs> I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But God says, Not so, man. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain's going to be protected. He did the worst, but he's going to be protected from the worst. Now, my research, and I'm no scholar, but my research indicates that that mark was either placed on his arm tattoo or on his head. My search research indicates that it was the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet Tav. And the picture, Hebrew alphabet, letters in Hebrew alphabet each have a picture. And the picture of a Tav is a cross. God put the sign of the cross on Cain to protect him from death, even though he'd done a bunch of bad stuff. When you came to Jesus and were baptized, the sign of the cross was put on your heart to protect you. There have been times in my life when I've had more than a bit of Cain in me, but he got killed. Cain got killed out of me when I was baptized. That's why we're having a big baptism weekend next weekend because... Some of you have still a bit of cane in you, but you can get cleansed of all guilt and shame, put your past behind you, have your sins washed away. Now, we got friends and family, neighbors and coworkers that we care about who have more than a bit of cane in them. They've drifted far, far from God. And so I'd like to encourage you to go out to our big banner that says Resolve and grab one of these stickers and write the names of your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors that... Go on, uh, that, that you want to see find hope in Christ this resurrection celebration weekend at Central Christian. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.